One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines and the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders were trembled. They trembled, the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. Now, Father God, come with your Holy Spirit. Help us to be attentive to your word as you speak to us through this whole service in music, in prayer, in the preaching, in communion, in the fellowship. We love you, Lord, and we need more courage. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Oh, it's great to be here. My name is Philip Jones, and I'm the senior pastor at All Saints Dallas. I'm responsible for bringing Jay Wright to Dallas, Texas. Whatever that may mean to you, but it's my fault. But we also got Amy, so what the heck? We got the whole family, great family. I'm a bishop in the Anglican Commission in America, so I'm also uh, a bishop in the Anglican Commission in America. And uh, uh, it's great to be here. It's been a while since I've been here for confirmations or just whatever service. <clears throat> I'm going to talk this evening about one aspect of what it means to be naturally supernatural people. 
in the daily grind of life and the things that we do with family or business or vocation or relationships, sometimes we can lose the reality of what it means to be naturally supernatural people. Now, what do I mean by naturally supernatural? Well, supernatural speaks for itself. It's something that, that's above what we just see. It's something that comes from God himself, that we live not in a closed world environment like a box, but we live in something where the roof is wide open for God to come and to speak and to heal and to do signs and wonders and to, and to give his word and, and to set our hearts on fire for passion. That's what it means to be natural. Now, there's all varieties of kind of people that believe that, have all kinds of different ways of, wor of worshiping, and, and sometimes it seems rather bizarre, and sometimes it seems rather plain, but to be naturally supernatural people is to recognize that this is what a natural Christian life, a normal Christian life looks like. For example, this weekend, I've had a great weekend. I got to tell you, it's been terrific. Friday, I did a, a, a memorial service for uh, a young man who died tragically at about 33 years old. And uh, his girlfriend uh, owns the bomb factory in Deep Ellum. Anybody here been to the bomb factory in Deep Ellum? You can raise your hand. It's okay. All right, there you go. Take, take note of that, Jay. Uh, uh, no. And so she has, and uh, what a, a fantastic outreach we were able to have as we held that service on Friday. And this man who died, his father and I were in high school together. And so I've known his father a long time. And, and, and the, the whole church building downtown was turned over to this event center, basically, not, not the sanctuary, but the rest of it. And it, it was quite an event. And, and and the Holy Spirit was so present. I left after that service. I couldn't stay for all the wonderful food that they had because they had all that catered in. I drove down to Burnett, Texas, where my wife is from. Uh, anybody here been to Burnett, Texas on purpose? There you go. Okay, good. Uh, and uh, we went to work cattle because she's got a small ranch down there, about 130 cattle. And uh, uh, it's her favorite, her two favorite days of the year are the days that we work cat her cattle. Her other favorite day of the year, of course, is my birthday. I'm just kidding. It's not her favorite. She could care less about my birthday. But anyway, the point, she does love to work cattle. And so uh, we inoculate, we vaccinate, and yes, we even castrate. And there is my little 65-year-old wife castrating a poor little male bull. And uh, uh, we did all that all day Saturday. It was fantastic. Drove back, went to a wedding last night, did services this morning. And this is right here. This is the, uh, the exclamation point on a great weekend to be here for a confirmation service or just to be here with you guys. And so as I'm thinking about courage, I want to talk about the supernatural anointing of courage. And, and I'm going to be preaching from the Old Testament mainly, but if you look at the gospel reading, the courage of Jesus Christ, the night before he died, to speak to his disciples about what was going to be happening and how they, in following Christ, will do more, abundantly more than he ever did. What kind of courage it took Christ to do what he did. And then what goes on after that, there's four things about courage. Number one, courage begins inside of here. It begins internally as you make agreement with the promises that God declares in Scripture. Now, I believe this stuff. I believe there is supernatural passion. There is supernatural reality. It's not really all up to me just to do the best that I can. 
All right, no, no, there's something else going on. I believe that has to begin here. And secondly, it's always <clears throat> released externally in, in words and actions. Think about the people in your life that have given you courage to do something. It might have been a coach or a teacher or a parent or a friend. The courage might have been to do some great work or, or, or just go to school or stay in school or whatever it may be, right? But, 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 but courage is, is released supernaturally in words and actions. Third, courage has a ripple effect. It, it ripples throughout people's lives. I see something that gives me courage to do something that gives someone else courage to do something. We're going to see how this worked out here in a moment. And then fourth, courage reclaims our identity. You're going to see it in the story from the Old Testament. It reclaims our identity. Supernatural courage, I believe, is always associated with the proclamation of the gospel. And where the proclamation of the gospel, I think there are signs and wonders and miraculous works. Supernatural kinds of things. It doesn't have to be bizarre, but it can be bizarre. Legs lengthen. It can be that. It can be healings. It can be restoration of relationships. That's what I mean by naturally supernatural. And this is going to joke some of our comfort zones maybe this evening, but... These are the kinds of things that Scripture talks about, casting out demons, healing the sick, and raising the dead. That's what Jesus said to do to, to the 12 and then to the 70 later on. And then in the Great Commission, he says, I want you now going to do all that I've taught you to do. That's part of what he taught us to do. Life is not all about those things, but those things can be part of that supernatural life. Now, we see it worked out in a couple of places in Scripture before we get to our passage this, morning, uh, this evening. In Acts chapter 4, there's Peter and John. They're preaching about the uh, resurrection of Christ, and, and they just healed a man at the, at the temple who had been lame for 40 years. So people are listening. They're seeing what they've done, and they're listening to this message because the proclamation of the gospel is often accompanied by signs and wonders, right? And so... They get in trouble with the authorities, and the authorities call them in and berate them and, and all that and tell them, don't do this anymore. And they say, listen, you know, we cannot not do this. And so they chastise them some more and let them go. And then they go back to the disciples, and they continue to do what they're called to do. And it's associated with signs and wonders. That's what the Scripture says. And the room where they were meeting began to shake. Just began to shake. Just like in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came, it began to shake. A reality of something that, wow, naturally supernatural. Acts chapter 14, there's Paul and Barnabas in a place called Iconium. And in Iconium, uh, they're preaching, and, and the Gentiles are coming to faith. And, and then some of the leaders of the Jews begin to poison the mind of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. So the people now are coming against Paul and Barnabas. And then the next words say, and so Paul and Barnabas stayed. Not left, but stayed. In the midst of confrontation, in the midst of things against them. And there again, the preaching of the gospel, people coming to faith, signs and wonders accompanying what they were doing. Courage. It begins in here. It's released externally. It has a rippling effect, and you reclaim your identity. Okay, let's look at the story. Now, turn in your bulletin, if you will, or into your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 14. I have to confess, I heard a talk given on this, 
And I really had never seen this before. I know I'd read, I'd read the story before, but I'd never seen the kinds of things that, uh, that were drawn out of it. So that's really what I want to share with you this morning. And let me just kind of give a bird's eye perspective of it. And then we'll kind of get into some of the details and, and then we'll move on with the servers. But here's the bird's eye perspective. Now, this is roughly, let's just say, a thousand years or so before Christ. And the Jews have come into the land. The Israelites have come into the land. They really haven't wiped out everybody. There's still this group called the Philistines. You've heard of Philistines, right? And the Philistines really are the enemy of Israel. And so one day, Jonathan, who's the son of King Saul, right? King Saul is the first king. King Saul is kind of a mess. He's got a, a son named Jonathan. And uh, so Jonathan and his armor bearer are just kind of walking around and they're looking up into the mountain and there they see a garrison of Philistines. And here's what Jonathan says, I think we can take them. And the armor bearer says, okay, there's just two of them, right? And uh, so, uh, and, and, and they're going to say, and, and here's the fleece we're going to put out. Here's the test. If they say to us, we will come down to you, whether well, they can come down to us and we can do something. But if they say, no, no, come up here, we want to show you something, well, then that's our sign. It is about the worst military strategy I could ever imagine. They're giving up all the advantages that two people might have. They're giving up the advantages because they're going to walk into the open field because if you think about two people sticking up with a whole bunch of other people, you think the one big military advantage would be the advantage of surprise. Well, no, not with Jonathan and his armor bearer. There's something happening in their hearts where they believe something. And so they're going to give up surprise. They're also going to give up elevation because the Philistines are above them so they can look down upon them. Well, that doesn't stop Jonathan and his armor bearers. So they begin to crawl on their hands and knees. That's exactly what it says. Now, look in your bulletin. That's where I kind of want to begin on page two. Uh, now, this particular passage is taken from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase called The Message. I don't normally do this, but it was so good I had to. Uh, so let's go down. Um, uh, all right. Let's go down to verse uh, 12. And the men of the garrison, that's the Philistines, hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. That's not exactly encouraging to me. I'd be very suspicious. I mean, I remember in middle school, we called it junior high because I'm that old. But back then, if there were a group of guys who maybe were a year or two older than me, and, and, you know, that would seem like 10 years older back then. If they said, hey, come over here, Philip, we want to show you something. I'm naturally going to be suspicious of that. No, I think mom's calling. I'll go home. But that's exactly what these people said. said come on up here. We want, to, we want to show you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, well, come after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Now, Israel at this moment now is two people. Jonathan and the armor bearer, that's it. And they're in the open field, and they're about to crawl up on their hands and knees. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, they, the Philistines. And his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, a furs length and an acre of land. And there was panic. 
I mean, two people crawl on their hands and knees, giving up all the elements of surprise. And all of a sudden, they fall before these people, and the rest of the people in the garrison, uh, they're, they're panicking. And look what it says. Now, watch. This is fascinating. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. I love that. You see, there are times where even creation joins in our courage, this supernatural courage that God gives us. I'm reminded in Romans chapter 8, and some of you may know this, where Paul says, creation groans in travail until all is fully revealed. Creation groans from hurricanes and earthquakes and all kinds of things, all kinds of ways, diseases. It groans waiting for that time. And here it says, the earth quaked. Uh, after I gave the talk this morning, uh, this lady came up to me uh, who's a missionary, and she was at a place she couldn't tell me where she was. It was somewhere in Asia. <laughs> That's all I can say. And anyway, and so they had been spending weeks pushing back the darkness. They spent weeks dealing with people who were going through trauma, spent weeks in, in prayer and, and prayer and uh, um, uh, proclamation of the gospel and all those kinds of things. And they were at the airport after all this, and they were about to go home, and a 5.8 earthquake hit that town where they were, and everything shook. But you see, when she heard the talk this morning, she said, now I see what that shaking is about. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. And the creation, you see, is joining in with what God is doing with his people in a profound and unique way. Next time the earth shakes or you feel a trembling or, or a rushing of wind, pay attention. God may be doing something. Well, all right, so that's the beginning of the story. But now listen to this. In the camp, the Philistine camp, there were Jews who had joined the Philistines. And they looked like the Philistines. They acted like the Philistines. They dressed like the Philistines. They worshiped like the Philistines. And no one would have known the difference. They wore Philistine clothing and garb. And they were there amongst the Philistines until they saw two men of courage, supernatural courage. And then things began to change. These were people that represent those that you probably have known. And you may have been one, you may be one now, where actually you may be in church, but you're far away from the faith. They've really kind of given up on the faith. They've taken some kind of offense that the church did or somebody did or whatever the situation may be. And they've just simply gone into the enemy camp and have given up their identity as Jews. They've given up their identity as being the light of the world that God called the Jews to be. Do you get it? They have lost their identity. They have lost their destiny. They are in the enemy camp totally. Out and out rebels. You been there? Probably. You know people who have been there. You know people who may be there right now. Well, look what happens. Now, the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines, what I just talked about, before that time, and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were Saul and Jonathan. These Hebrews now took off their Philistine garb, took off all that identified them with the enemy, the people against whom they had been fighting to establish the identity of Israel, and now they joined with the enemy. They take that back off, and they come back into their identity as Jews, as people of God. Why? 
Courage. Whose courage? Not theirs, not yet. No, Jonathan and the armor bearer. That's it. You see, it has a rippling effect. Internally, believed the promise of God of what could happen. They acted externally by climbing up the mountain in the wide open. And then it begins to have a rippling effect. And now these ex-Jews who joined the Philistines now reclaim their identity. That's what happens, you see. It calls something out of us when we see the courage of other people. I know in my life it called something out of me when I was a young lawyer. And uh, I believed the stuff. I just, I just, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted more. And I remember someone saying to me, a priest, and he said this. He said, Philip, if you claim to be a believer in Christ, that means that the kingdom of God is within you. Luke chapter 17, verse 21. It's not out there somewhere. It's not in an office somewhere. It's right here. That means that wherever you go, goes the kingdom of God. That's what I needed to hear. That gave me the courage then to make some changes in my life and to recognize Wherever I go, goes the kingdom of God like a bucket of water been thrown in my face. I woke up. I heard a lot of that this morning of people kind of waking up as they heard this story. Not that I've been in the rebellious camp, but I've probably been in the second camp. I'll talk about the second camp here in a minute. But you understand the rebellious camp? They completely join the other side and have to take all that off, and they come back. Why? Because there's a rippling effect, and they recognize, oh, what have I done? Oh, my God, I'm part of them. I've lost it. I've forgotten all that. Off with the Philistine stuff, I'm going to join them. What's the second group, okay? <clears throat> Even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were sought in Jonathan, like, uh, verse 22. Likewise, with all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. Where were these people? They were hiding. They were hiding behind the rocks. They were in the back pews. Sorry, you guys in the back pews. Uh, they, they, they were the complacent ones. That's much more what I was like when I was a young lawyer. Uh, they're, they're the ones with a cold heart. They're the ones who didn't want to get involved. They're too busy with family matters and business matters and things of that nature. And, and they represent what I would say consumer Christianity. You come and you sit and you consume and you evaluate and you grade and then you go home and you watch a football game and you go on with your life. Nothing wrong with football games, right? But nevertheless, you know, you get where I'm going. Okay, so these are the guys that are kind of hiding, complacent. They're harder to reach. I got to tell you, they're harder to reach. I was one of them. And they don't burn with passion for anything particularly. They're not really convicted about anything. At least the rebels were convicted about something. They're easier to get to than those who just kind of, I don't know, exist. They're religious people. They know when to kneel and to stand up. They know when to make the sign of the cross or raise their hands or whatever it may be. Even they came out. A rippling effect of the courage of just two men against a whole army of people. The church, St. Bart's, and any gospel-centered church, I know these people, I know the way they believe, I know what they think, longs for the day when the people 
who have put on the enemy garb and the culture and all the things, all the accoutrements of the culture around us, who once were involved in the life of the church, who once were involved in sharing the faith, who once were involved in living in the life of what it means to follow Christ, had given all that up, longs for, St. Bart's longs for those people to take off that garb and come home. No judgment, no guilt, no shame. Because all that's been taken care of at the cross. If you have that kind of courage and that kind of attitude, people will flock to St. Bart's. People will want to know what the hell is going on here. I've never felt this welcome in a place. Likewise, those people who sit, go through the motions, maybe give a little and think that's a big sacrifice after God gave his life for us. These people, these leaders, and you long for the day when those people will find their passion. How do we find our passion? By reclaiming that identity. Remember, these people who dressed like the Philistines, these people who hid behind rocks, they had lost their identity. They had lost their destiny. You have an identity and you have a destiny, and that is you and Jesus are brothers and sisters. You are co-heirs with Christ. That is your identity. And we need to be reminded of that Sunday after Sunday, day after day. And that's why we go through what we call the liturgy. Because it reminds us of that grace. It reminds us of the cross. It reminds us of who we are. To be naturally supernatural people. Now, who's giving you that kind of courage in your life along the way? Love to hear your stories about that. Share them with Jay and Chris. But what you won't know are the people that you have that kind of effect upon, the people that you infect with that kind of courage, the people that you attract. Why? Because of the courage that you express. Remember, courage is always internal. It begins internal, but it's expressed externally. It has a ripple effect, and it reclaims your identity. So what I want to do right now is this. I'm going to call, I'm going to give you a chance to show courage this evening. And if you think, if this applies to, to you, either you have, are in rebellion, you're in the enemy camp and you know that, okay, or you're kind of complacent and you're hiding in the rocks and you know that, or you're like Jonathan and God has called you to something and you want the courage to go forward. I'm going to ask in a moment, I'm going to ask that you come forward, that you show courage because a church of all places ought to be a safe place where you can exercise that courage, where you can stand up for what matters because we are built to be courageous people. We are built to be people that run toward trouble, not away from it. That's what Jonathan and Armorbury did. We, we, we owe the world an encounter with the living God that says we're going to walk into the fire, we're going to walk into the lion's mouth, we're going to walk into whatever we do, and we're going to do it with natural supernatural. We may get chewed up, we may get spit out, yet it's something that happens in here that we know that in here this, this God that's inside of us is bigger than anything else. If you're watching TV, if you're watching the news, if you're listening to stuff and, and you get down and you get depressed, that means then that something that's happening out there is bigger than the presence of God inside of here. I want to encourage you, turn it off until you contend internally with what God wants to do with you. Does that make sense? I have to remind myself that or sometimes my wife that because she can get, oh my gosh, the world's falling apart and all that kind of stuff and, and turn it off. 
The God inside of us is bigger than all that. And so I'm going to say a prayer here. And then after I say a prayer, I'm going to invite those who want to, uh, to come forward. And where's the music guy? Where are you, music guy? Are you here? Good. I want you to come over here and just kind of play something. I want you to sing. I just want you to play something. All right? And so, uh, and then, um, uh, and then I'm going to invite those who want to come forward. Now, look, I know it takes some courage to stand up in the pew and walk and come forward. This isn't meant for everybody necessarily. I, I get that. And if, if you're in the pews and the people come forward, pray for them. And, and I will pray for you as well. Okay? So this isn't a judgment kind of thing. This is just an opportunity uh, to, to, to exercise this kind of supernatural courage. It's going to have a rippling effect. It did this morning at All Saints. You could tell just the presence of God was thick. It just kind of had, had a rippling effect. Uh, so let me say a prayer, and then I'll, then I'll call you forward in a moment. <clears throat> Lord God, uh, as we gather this evening, we do so with great expectation, with great hope that we're going to meet you. We're not just going through the motions. Some of us may be going through the motions. And those are the kind of people, Lord, I, I want to ask to come forward here in a moment. Or those that know they've been in the wrong camp and they've worn the wrong garb of the culture and they want to take it off and they want to reclaim that identity as being a co-heir with Christ, a, a daughter of the king, a son of the king, because of faith in him. Nothing we've done or deserved, but all what he has done. So come with your Holy Spirit now. Let this be a moment of transformation in people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So. If in one of those three categories, the rebellious, the complacent, I need the courage because I'm being called to be something like Jonathan, would you just take your time and come on forward? And then I'm, uh, Chris and Jay and I will pray for you. Y'all come up here. Just walk up, walk up whenever, you're, whenever you're ready. And you'll stand right here, and we're going to pray for you as a group. Let the earth tremble. Let the wind blow. Let all creation join in this chorus of rejoicing with these men and women who come forward. Abba, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray for a supernatural anointing of courage to find the Jonathans and the armor bearers out there that you see, and God will show you them, that will give you the courage to live for him, to run into the areas of trouble, not run away. Courage to deal with very difficult, hard situations, emotionally, relationally, socially, physically, whatever it may be because you have all that within you. It's your identity. You're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. 
It's all in here. This is waiting to come out. Now come, Holy Spirit, and seal upon the hearts of these men and women that courage. And I'm just going to pause for a moment. In the silence, let the Holy Spirit come. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing and what you're going to do. I pray, Lord, for those people in the congregation who are praying for these people and those people in the congregation who want that same prayer for them as they say, here I am. Take me as I am. I don't want to hide in the rocks anymore. I don't want to wear the garb, the dress of the culture. I want to reclaim my identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. And all the people said, amen and amen. Thank you.